Everyone, it's so good to see you all. We're going to continue on in our series called Letters. And for those of you who weren't with us last week, we are taking uh, the next several weeks to look at the letters uh, from Jesus to the seven churches found in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And so uh, we're in Revelation 2, two uh, verse 8 through 11. As you're turning there, we're looking at the second church, the church of Smyrna. Um, as you're turning there, um, uh, for Father's Day recently, um, I received um, a gift that was just super sweet um, and one that I, I still have on our dresser at home. And so I have a picture of it here, um, and it is um, a crown. It's a paper crown, uh, whether you can see it uh, on the screen or not. The paper crown says, like, best dad ever, and I'm like, yes. I, if you ever needed objective proof, uh, there it is. Um, but just that, you know, how sweet that is and how kind that is. And the girls, you know, put it on me um, and, you know, try to wear that. Uh, and just to be able to rejoice and to be able to um, just be excited about the fact that, that you have just uh, have wonderful kids, wonderful girls, um, and just that honor that it is to be their dad. Um, the other night, uh, Elise was making uh, these crowns out of these magnets and wanted me to wear a crown, which meant I had to have like very good posture because it would fall over. And, um, you know, it is such an honor uh, in different areas of, of impact or leadership, all of us um, have different responsibilities, different honors that we have. To, it is an honor to be Shaylin and Elisa's dad. Uh, it is an honor to be Steph's husband. It is an honor to be the pastor here. Um, it is an honor to, to be able to be a friend or a son or a brother or all these different things. And all of us have those um, different areas in which in our lives that we it's an honor to be able to have a crown, to be able to, to recognize that we have been entrusted in this role or with these relationships or with these people. And so to be able to, to wear that with honor. However, the flip side of the crown, that we like to be able to receive the crown and wear the crown, but what we don't always um, remember or don't always uh, acknowledge as being a big part of wearing the crown is the fact that the crown comes with difficulties. The crown comes with sleepless nights. Uh, it comes with late night feedings uh, as a dad, as a, as a parent, as a mom or dad. It comes with stress when your kids are not doing well in school or, or they're hurting or they're hurt, you hurt because they hurt. It comes with stress when they grow up and they're, going, they're in, uh, teenagers and they're, they're leaving and they're going off to spend time with friends or to go off to college. There's sleepless nights that come with that. There's the fact that as I heard uh, someone say before, I wish I knew who it was, but uh, the quotation that we're only as happy as our unhappiest child and how there's a weight. There, there's, it's an honor, but there's a weight to it as well. And I wonder how many of us can relate to the idea that it can be a blessing and also a burden or also a, a weight, a healthy weight, but a difficult one when we're in these different relationships. You know, uh, in Shakespeare's play, King Henry IV, it relates the story of, um, well, a big story, but story of King Henry IV, and specifically there's a part in which, uh, because of what's going on inside of his kingdom, he's, he's up late at night. And he talks about this idea that uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. We translate that, or the more common uh, version of that that we hear often is the idea that heavy is the head that wears the crown, that with great power comes great responsibility. With great honor can come a heavy weight. And so as we think about this idea, we're going to dive into the, the Smyrna, which you can 
call the crowned church, if you like, because we're going to see um, some things about their testimony, about how Jesus speaks to them specifically, and the promise that he makes to them by the end of just these four short verses. But our main point before we pray is the idea that when the world tries to tear you down, remember that heavy is the head that wears the crown. That it is an honor to be a Christian. It is an honor to know that Jesus lived a perfect life and he died a horrible death because of our sin and that by entrusting in him that we can have eternal life, which is not just going to heaven when we die, but eternal life as knowing the Father and the Son who was sent by the Father in relationship with him. That when the world tries to tear us down and all around us we see division, we see pain, we see heartache, we see tragedy, we see difficulty. And it can be hard to, to, to try to follow Christ in the midst of that. But when the world tries to tear us down, remember that heavy is the head that wears the crown. What does that mean for us? What did it mean back then? What does it mean now? And what does it mean for you and me individually this evening? Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that you are here in this place. I thank you for each and every person who hears my voice now, whether in person or on screen. God, may they know that they are deeply loved by you. God, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. And Lord, we pray that we would be able to um, live lives that would please you each and every day. God, we thank you. It is an honor to know you. May we live in such a way that honors you back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, we're gonna be in Revelations 2, verse eight through 11. And as you're turning there, if you're already there, if you um, have a light on your phone, you can go ahead and do that. If you brought, um, uh, I, I know some people talked about like wearing like, like headlamps. If you need to do that, go for it. This will be the last week you'll need it, but uh, by all means. Um, and I wanna just give a quick review of last week in the sense of we're looking at the, the different churches um, through Revelation, and there's a, a few different ways to interpret those or to look at them. One, that they're ages in church history, that it's kind of broken down uh, throughout, you know, the first age of, his, of the church history is the churches like Ephesus, who lost their first love. And the second age are people like Smyrna, and all the way down through the seventh one at Laodicea. That's one example. A second example is the idea that um, it talks about types of churches. So it's not chronological, sequential, but it's typological in the sense of saying it's, there are some churches who just struggle with their first love. There are some who go after false teaching. There are some who become lukewarm. And so it's, it's again, typifying or a type of church. But the one that we're using is the idea that it is, they are historical churches, local churches that Jesus had a specific message to. And because the local church is the hope of the world, that we recognize that he has messages for us through his word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus giving the revelation to John, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, who received this revelation, um, who received this vision while he was on the island of Patmos late at, in his life. And these are some of the words that Jesus shared with him. So I'm going to read Revelation 2, 8 through 11. And then we're going to kind of pick apart a few different things um, and see what God may have for us. So Revelation 2, starting in verse 8, says this. To the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. 
I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Our first point as we look at these four verses together is to talk about this, is how the letters to the seven churches have the same basic structure. They have the same basic structure. And I didn't have time to go into this last week, but we're going we're gonna to point it out this uh, weekend. Because every single one of these churches follows, for the most part, a basic structure. So, for example, every letter that Jesus writes, is, for the most part, has um, Jesus identifying him, or excuse me, Jesus addressing the church. So it says, you know, to the church of Smyrna. Then he identifies himself. In this case, he identifies himself as the words of him who was the first and the last who died and came to life again. They, these, these churches, uh, these letters also have a commendation. What is Jesus commending or affirming within the churches? Then they have a condemnation. What is his admonition or his accusation against the churches? They also have a warning for the churches. They also have an exhortation for the churches and then also a promise at the end. In this case, it's um, whoever has ears, let him hear. That's the, that's the exhortation. And then the, the promise at the end is that the one who is uh, victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. So when you look at these seven churches, these seven letters, for the most part, they have those seven different parts um, within the same structure. However, in, on the notes as well, there are a few notable exceptions to the structure, including in the letter to Smyrna. There are times in which that there's a break in the pattern. And so whenever there's a break in the pattern is when we want to pay attention to why was that pattern broken. What is it that we need to pay attention to? What is it that Jesus might be wanting to notice? And how might that impact us? So, for example, Smyrna is one example out of two there, there are two churches, Smyrna being one of them, that have no condemnation from Jesus. There's nothing that he condemns them. He, he doesn't have the verbiage of, this is what I have against you. If you remember last week in verse 4 with the church of Ephesus, he says, you're doing incredible things, but this is what I have against you. You've lost your first love. There's a condemnation. There's something where he's saying, churches, you are missing out on this. You're not following through. Here's a, a warning for you. So let's find out why it is that Smyrna is one of two churches that only receives positive affirmation from Jesus, not condemning, and then they also get a promise in the midst of that. So in the notes, the next section says this, that poverty, persecution, and pain are not signs that God has abandoned you. Let's read this again, verse uh, verse 8 and 9. He said, these are the words of him who was first and the last, who died and came to life again. Verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So what does this mean? This idea that he knows what we're going through when we're experiencing persecution or suffering. Persecution, pain, poverty, these are not signs that God has abandoned you. In fact, as the next point says, Jesus sees, knows, and identifies with your pain. 
he's not removed from pain. In fact, we see in his introduction, how again does he introduce himself? What's the, what's the way that he introduced himself to the letter of Smyrna? He talks about how he is the first and the last, but then he says he's the one who died and who came back to life. He experienced death. He experienced pain. He experienced temptation and knew not sin. He experienced poverty. He came and he was born into a manger, into a, a horse's trough, because he wasn't rich or he didn't have this ornate um, life or, or um, upbringing. He was poor. He was persecuted. And he experienced great pain. That does not mean that when we experience those things that we've been abandoned by God. He sees our pain. What does he say? He says, I know about your persecution. I know about your afflictions. I know about your poverty. I know about your pain. He knows it. And like we just mentioned, he identifies with it. He says, I too know, have known pain. I too died and who came back to life again. In order to paint a picture of the type of persecution the, the church of Smyrna were experiencing, we, let's take a couple moments to see about the city. Now, the city of Smyrna is in the modern day city of Izmir, Turkey. Smyrna, the, the name itself, means the word bitter and is connected to the word myrrh. So Smyrna is connected to the word myrrh, which is connected to the idea of death. So if you think about when Jesus was born in that horse's trough in the manger, that um, at that time, the, the or when the uh, wise men ended up coming, there was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold to acknowledge that um, Jesus was a king, royalty. Frankincense to acknowledge the fact that he, were to, he was to be worshipped. That was part of the, the sense that would be part of the incense. And then myrrh, which was part of the, the, the sense that would be part of mourning, of death. And so those three parts, uh, the three gifts of the wise men reflect the fact that Jesus is king, that he's to be worshipped, but that he would also have to suffer and that he would be mourned. So all that to say, Smyrna means bitter and is connected to the word myrrh, which is connected to death. But along with Ephesus, Smyrna was a vibrant city. And, and they were both known, or kind of rivals, if you will, to be known as like the first church, or sorry, excuse me, the first city of Asia, like in prominence, the one that would be most well known or, or one of the, the greatest cities in the time. In fact, they specifically had a close relationship to a Roman imperial cult. What, what does that mean? It means that there was a cult of people who were Romans, that imperial meaning empire. So they would worship the emperor. And so the verbiage that they would say um, would be to acknowledge that you followed the empire and believed in the empire. They would say, Caesar is Lord, which is direct contradiction to what we know that we proclaim Jesus is Lord. And so when we hear in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, or in uh, Romans, the idea that pronouncing that Jesus is Lord is a proclaiming his deity, proclaiming our surrendering to him. And it was also a direct contradiction to proclaiming that Caesar was Lord. It wasn't saying that any ruler could be God or was to be worshipped. It's saying Jesus alone is to be worshipped. And so... The city of Smyrna was really well known for that Roman imperial cult, the people who worshipped Caesar as Lord. So how did that impact the church of Smyrna? Well, because 
the church at Smyrna would not proclaim that Caesar is Lord, but rather that Jesus is Lord. They experienced persecution from them. And some of that persecution would play itself out in the fact that they would not be allowed um, to have jobs. They would then become unemployed, which would then lead to them being poor, in poverty. That it was a financial hit, a hit to their way of life for them to proclaim and follow Jesus as Lord. We also see, um, and, and that's where he talks about um, when he says that I know your poverty, yet you are rich, which we're going to get to in a moment. We also see uh, this dynamic when he talks about how uh, that there are Jews who say they're who are Jewish, but they're not. And in fact, they, they're more of a synagogue of Satan. So there were persecution from the Jewish people within the city of Smyrna as well. So both from Jew and Gentile, the Christian church at Smyrna was receiving persecution. And so those are important things for us to be aware of the city of Smyrna and the church of Smyrna. And the last point for the church of Smyrna that's important to just for us, our awareness, is that at a later date, Polycarp um, was someone, was a man who became the bishop of Smyrna. And Polycarp was specifically discipled by John, the best, one of the best friends of Jesus, the, the one who was so close to him, and ended up being the one writing this letter through the revelation of Christ. So Polycarp, who became the bishop of Smyrna, was someone who knew John personally, was discipled by John, and he became the bishop of Smyrna in the second century. So this is an important church in this time. But like I mentioned a few moments ago, it's this idea of they were, they were impoverished. They were in poverty financially and physically and materially, yet they were rich. Why is Jesus saying that they would be rich? Well, we can get a clue from one of the first sermons, the first sermon that Jesus proclaimed, which is the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically the Beatitudes, uh, in Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12. This is what Jesus says as he's beginning his ministry, his public ministry um, on earth. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There was a season many years ago when I was um, memorizing the Beatitudes. And I remember that uh, I was memorizing it and I was, you know, saying it verbally out loud as I was trying to repeat it. And as I was doing that, I remember I started experiencing... um, you know, some, some people who were angry about me because of my faith and, and how that impacted different things um, in, in relationships in my life. And I remember just being in tears because of it, lying on my couch and repeating verses 10, 11, and 12 as I was, as I was starting to do it. And as I, was, as I was saying it, as I was memorizing it, as blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then as I was repeating it, I noticed a very important change as my eyes were closed and I was repeating it. A very important change between verse 10 and verse 11. In fact, there's two things of note. The first is that when it says, blessed are those who are persecuted, it's in the third person, right? It's saying all people who are persecuted. Then where does verse 11 go? Matthew 5 says, blessed are you. It, 
this persecution is no longer for the people out there. It's not a general blessing. It's now saying, blessed are you. It becomes personal. It becomes real. The second person, no longer the third person. saying, blessed are you when you are persecuted and when people insult you. And the next part is not just the blessed are you, but then the very next word. It's not blessed are you if you are persecuted. It's not blessed are you in case this happens to you. And people may insult you. They may persecute you. They may say vile things about you. Blessed are you when. And even though I remember lying on my couch and crying and, and I found great um, solace or, or just peace knowing that even though there was persecution, even though there was struggle, even though there was heartache, that Jesus saw me, sees us, he knows our pain, and he identifies with it. He knows what it's like to be impoverished and persecuted and in pain. He's a God who was with us, who came down to live a perfect life from the riches of heaven to the rags of a manger. And so the Smyrna church is rich because they're receiving a reward that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 12, a reward that is far greater than any money in our bank account, any retirement plan that we have, any investments that we make in the real estate market or in the stock market, that the reward that the church would receive is a reward that comes when they've gone through persecution, the reward and richness of a relationship with God, the reward of the crown of victory. So, verse 10, we go to the next point, that they were impoverished, but they're rich. He knows us, he sees us, he identifies with our pain. But when facing persecution and suffering in our notes, Jesus encourages us to be courageous and faithful. Verse 10, do not be afraid. Be courageous, he says. He says, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put uh, some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. So be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Again, be courageous. When Joshua received the encouragement and the courage from God, it was, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That Jesus is seeing that the people are going to experience this persecution. And he says, listen, 10 days in the Bible is, is a small period of time. It's used that way in Genesis 25, I believe as well. But the idea of it's, it's a short period of time in comparison to history, but it's still severe. It's still harsh. It's still painful. It's still difficult. He's saying, be courageous. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. That in Luke, he talks about when, when you are put on trial, Luke 10, and he sends out the 72. He's like, you will be given the words to know what to say. Be courageous. I was listening to a book recently, and one of the things it talks about is how listening to our prayers will give us an idea of, you know, where, where our heart is. And so, so often we, we may ask for peace or for patience or 
for help. And those are all obviously viable, valid things to pray for. But it also encourages us how often do we as individuals and do we as the church pray for boldness and for courage to share about who Jesus is. But then also, not just for the courage, but also faithfulness. To be faithful, to, serve, to make it through the trials and the tribulations, the persecution, the suffering. And Jesus says, if you do this, if you are faithful, you will receive the crown of life. I mentioned Polycarp, Polycarp earlier, the Bishop of Smyrna. There's a picture of him over here uh, that he lived um, from age six, or 69 uh, AD and he died in 156 AD. He was the Bishop of Smyrna and uh, he, again, after a period of time, he ended up becoming persecuted for his faith. The, the story goes um, from different um, uh, historians that at the time talked about how when he was going to be he, they knew that they were coming after him, that the, that the people were going to come and they were going to martyr him and they were going to kill him. And it talks about how he went to a home and when the people tracked him down, he invited them in and welcomed them as old friends, the ones who were going to end his life. And he has a quotation that he said right at the end of his life. And he said, quote, 80 and six years have I served him, referring to God, and he never did me any injury how then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He faced his death with courage. And he was faithful to the God who has always been faithful to him. When we face difficult times, Jesus doesn't ignore our difficult times. He doesn't say just, you know, don't worry about it. He doesn't even say it's going to be all better. Because there's going to be people who would die and who would be persecuted. He doesn't say, hey, you're going to be okay here on earth. But he says, if you are faithful and courageous, you will receive the crown. You'll receive the crown. So for us, when we are struggling, when we're facing persecution, whether it's from family members who don't understand why we believe, whether it's from friends who mock us at school or mock us um, at the workplace, whether it's from people who um, want to really hurt us and cause harm. Because what we experience as persecution here in America is, is difficult and it is suffering. There is hard parts of it, but it's also countries all across the world, how many people are martyred every single day for their faith in Christ. That when I was um, at my previous church, there was a ministry that we worked with that was centered in India, and they would have a Bible college that would train pastors to go up to um, Nepal, the Nepalese border, and the Pali border, excuse me, and they knew that they were not coming back. They knew that by going to this area and reaching people for Jesus and proclaiming the gospel, that they would not return because they would be martyred for their faith. And so we experience difficulty here, but it's not the same kind of persecution that people face all the way across the world. And so what does that mean? That means, one, that we ought to keep praying for our brothers and sisters all across this world. That, yes, we pray for those that we are here within our church. We pray for our city. We pray for our state. We pray for our nation. But 
far be it from us to forget to pray for the world and the Christians who are having an impact in countries that, um, that it's antithetical or antagonistic towards the gospel. May their light shine bright with courage and faithfulness. That Polycarp, a friend of John, who he knew and helped raise in the faith and was a disciple uh, of John, John's writing this letter from the words from Jesus, knowing, or maybe not knowing at the time, but finding out that his disciple that he poured into, that he knew and he cared for, was Polycarp, who would eventually hear these words and be encouraged by these words from Christ, that would be able to give Polycarp the strength and the courage and the faithfulness to be able to face these persecutions and to be able to keep his witness, keep his faithfulness, and then receive the crown of victory. So now um, we've kind of talked about this and I'm on my closing point right now. And so uh, I'm going to switch gears because it's hard to go from like persecution, martyrdom, and then to make like a really quick turn and start talking about Hamilton, but I'm going to do it. So stay with me. Um, I know I mentioned Hamilton a couple weeks ago. Apparently, just I think about all the illustrations uh, through Hamilton recently. Um, if you've seen it, uh, there's some, I mean, there's some bad words. There's some things that I'm not saying, oh, this is the perfect movie. But there's a couple of things that are applicable that we can learn from. And one of them is that when King George first comes out, who's played by Jonathan Groff, uh, who is, um, if you've ever seen Frozen, he's the one who uh, is voice, voices Kristoff. Uh, and so that's how I found out about him. But he has this opening moment where he walks in from the back on the stage, or onto the uh, downstage. And as he's walking, he has this very, like, proper, um, very, like, he crosses his legs. And it's just uh, very, like, it was just, it's just a very interesting walk. And you find out later on that someone asked me, like, why, you know, why did you walk like that? Like, that's kind of a weird, he doesn't just waltz onto the stage. It's very intentional. And he talks about the reason he had to walk like this and just kind of do that was that the crown on his head was so heavy that he was worried that if he walked normally, it would just fall right off. So he had to create this walk in order to wear the crown well and in order to be able to, to perform what he needed to perform. Now, that's a lighthearted example that may be able to illustrate a deep penetrating truth. We talked earlier on this idea that heavy is the head that wears the crown. And we're talking about in the beginning of, of responsibility of, of a king and King Henry IV written by Shakespeare that recognizes people were going to die in a war, that it was going to be difficult. And so he had an uneasy sleep because of the burden of being in that position of wearing the crown. But Smyrna also had a heavy head because of the crown, but it was the crown of victory. Why? Because heavy is the head that wears the crown because only someone who has been courageous and faithful is strong enough for the crown of victory. Only someone who's had to face those difficulty will be able to walk and not to perform, but to be able to walk in such a way that they can bear the crown with victory, faithfulness, courage, and truth. So in verse 11, when it says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. He's saying, listen, some of you will die the first death. The first death is the physical death. Revelation talks about the second death multiple times and refers to the lake of fire. It, it refers to 
eternal separation from God. And so he's saying, those of you who go through the crown and, or excuse me, go through this persecution and you experience the first death for faith in me, referring to Jesus saying this, faith in me, you will not be affected by the second death. Why? Because you're going to be in a right relationship with me. You'll be written, your name's going to be written in the book of life. You will be in eternity with God. And you will not have to worry about eternal separation from him. Because in your faith in Jesus, you have eternity with him. So, here's how I want to close with us to, for us tonight. It's a short four verses. I know it's not a lot. But I want to just ask the question of talking about where is it that you're experiencing pain or poverty or persecution? And encouraging you to go home at some point this weekend or um, at some point in your quiet time to write down in the journal or to pray, however you prefer, what, what am I afraid of right now? What, what, what am I feeling is an area of suffering in my life? And in order to write that down, to, to then bring that to God, to ask Jesus, Jesus, give me the courage to face this. Help me to be faithful to face this. That it's okay for us to be scared and sad and angry. We're able to feel these emotions, that, that those are not bad things as Christians to experience fear and to experience sadness and experience anger it's what we do with them that matters because we all feel it but do we take it and in bitterness run from god do we take it in humility and surrender and bring it to god and do we recognize that when we do the latter we will experience the power of his presence and the crown of reward that comes with victory through him so for you to journal pray do some work with god to say what am i afraid of than asking God specifically, give me courage and give me faithfulness. And for some of you, whether here with us or watching online with us, maybe some of you are still haven't crossed that line of faith yet. Maybe you've heard the story of Jesus and you've heard that he came to, to die for us, but it doesn't hasn't resonated with you yet what that means. And so maybe some of you are still unsure of what it looks like to be at full peace, knowing that you don't have to worry about the second death and eternal separation from God. And if that's you this evening or this weekend, and you feel that stirring of God inside your heart, that Holy Spirit moment of, it's time. It's time to surrender your life. It's time to trust in me. And from the words of God into your ears and your heart, don't let the moment slip. Strike while the iron is hot. Because God might be stirring in you something now, but then you get home and there's things to do, there's work to get done, there's homework to work on, I mean, whatever it is. And far be it from us to miss the opportunity to respond to his voice. The voice that says, I am the first and the last. I know what it's like from the beginning. I know what it is at the end. And I heard a song called Abide in Me that was just a couple weeks ago that says, and he says from the words of Christ, I am the first, I am the last, and I hold the middle. Do you need Jesus to hold you in this difficult time? 
Do you long for him to hold you, not just for this difficult time, but for eternity in a right relationship with him? Because if that's you, you can lean into and trust in him as Lord tonight. Let us pray. Father, I pray for everyone who hears my voice, the Holy Spirit, that you'd be stirring within each and every one of us. For some of us, God, we've, we rejoice with Smyrna knowing that they didn't have any condemnation, that, that you were encouraging them and giving them courage to face difficulty that you knew was coming. Lord, you know some of us now are in the midst of suffering and pain and poverty or persecution. Jesus, may we hear your encouragement to be faithful, to be courageous, and in so doing, be able to receive the crown of victory. That our victory is not in our own good deeds. Our victory is not found in anything in this world. Our victory is not found in our own ability to figure things out. Our victory is not found anywhere or in anyone else other than you, Lord Jesus. May we surrender to you. May we recognize that no matter what difficulty we face in this world, we know that when we surrender our lives to you, that we will have eternity with you forever. We won't have to worry about eternal separation. So God, I pray that if there's anyone who just needs to pray these simple words saying, Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I'm far from you but I don't want to be. I surrender my life to you. Give me courage where I'm afraid. Give me faithfulness where I want to give up. And give me a crown of victory when all I see around me is defeat and heartache. I trust you, Jesus, and I say, Jesus, you are Lord. Come what may, you are Lord of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for welcoming me into eternal life with you. As I confess with my heart, confess with my words, and believe in my heart that you are Lord, so I can be saved. We love you, Lord. We pray that you would move in our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close and we get ready for this time of communion, for those of you who may have prayed that prayer for the first time, that is an incredible, incredible thing. And we hope that you would let us know, whether it's online or whether you're in person, let us know if you've made that decision so we could walk alongside you as you navigate the most important decision you will ever make in all of your life because it's the one that will give you eternal life. And for those of us who have trusted in Jesus as Lord, we take communion and we recognize that we say heavy is the head that wears the crown. And we've primarily been referring to that to us during this season when we face persecution and difficulty. But I want to remind you, or I want to encourage you that the reason Jesus can say these things with all authority is because, again, he died and came back to life. And his head, he is the head of the church, wears the crown as Lord of Lords and King of Kings because he lived a perfect life and he died a horrible death and he was raised to new life. So his head has been heavy with the burden of our sin thrust upon him, but he did so lovingly, courageously, and faithfully 
so that we may have a right relationship with him. And now he is crowned. He's on the throne. The throne of the entire world and the throne of our hearts. So please feel free to partake of the bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken and the cup that reminds us of his blood that was poured out so that we can have eternal life through him. Please feel free to partake as you feel led.